0: Thank you so much for tuning in. As always, I'm super excited to be back in your earbuds again this week, and I've got a very exciting and kind of different episode for you. Before we get into that, actually, I just want to take an extra moment to say thank you. If you've been following me over the last several weeks, you've probably heard me talk a lot about intuitive dating. I know that means I am talking about intuitive dating and its registration here on the podcast more. You're getting more emails from me, and you're still here. And I don't take your presence for granted. I don't take it lightly. So I just really appreciate you hanging with me. Of course, if you joined us in Intuitive Dating, I'm super excited to work with you over the next several weeks. And if you didn't, that's totally fine too. I'm still so glad you're here. I'm so happy that you're listening. And I truly, truly hope you continue to enjoy the podcast and that it helps you in all the big and small ways in your love life and honestly, just in your life in general. Okay, so in today's episode, I'm going to break down the book, Why Men Love Bitches by Sherry Argrove. And I'm really excited to do this because I don't know, I can kind of nerd out on this kind of stuff. But there's a few reasons why I wanted to start this potential series on the podcast. And reason number one is because one, this book in particular comes up a lot with Clients, potential clients, you know, we'll be talking about something. and say, oh, well, I didn't do this, or I tried doing that because I read it in this book. Da, 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 da. And sometimes it doesn't work, or the advice kind of backfires, or they're just kind of confused as to why they didn't get the result they were expecting. So again, this book just comes a lot up a lot. So I wanted to talk about this book specifically. But why I want to talk about this as a broader series and look at some other books is because I've talked a lot on the show already, especially in like the self-trust series about kind of the gaslighting nature of a lot of self-help or just the lack of nuance. Even if it's not like gaslighting or bad advice per se, there's just no nuance. Like if you just take like one line of something, you're like, oh yeah, okay, great. That's fine advice. Like there's nothing wrong with it inherently. But then if you put it into the context of like someone's life and being a human and all the complexities that come with that, and then trying to do life with another human, you know, that one little thing of advice may or may not be applicable or in the right timing or the right context. And so I just find a lot of it just lacks nuance. And so I want to go through these kinds of books that I think a lot of women are reading, not to be like, oh, everything you read is wrong and listen to me. But that's not really not that's not at all actually the what I'm trying to accomplish what I'm trying to accomplish or help you do is to read this stuff with a bit of not even just curiosity, but oh, what's the word? It's not curiosity. It's not criticism, but just like a little bit of a filter. Like, does this apply to me? Or does this resonate with me? Or do I agree with this? Or does this even make sense? Because I think, especially in your love life, when you can feel really like, oh my gosh, what is wrong with me? Why can everyone else figure this out but me? And then you read a book, especially if it's like a New York Times bestseller or has like the glossy thing, like over a million copies sold, then... You can really take, even if you're unconsciously doing this, take the word as gold and not really being applying the filter that you definitely have because you're smart. (laughs) You know what I mean? So I want to look at this book and I'll be honest, I um, thought I was going to do the whole book in one episode. And then I made it through the first, the introduction and the first chapter. And I was like, gosh, I'm not even able to do half a book in an episode, Uh, maybe a longer episode. So maybe that will come in the future, but I'm just going to cover the introduction and the first chapter in this episode. And here's where you come in. If this is totally boring, you're not interested, then that's fine. Let me know because then I'm not going to do more episodes like this, either with this book or other books. If this is interesting to you and you like it, then please let me know. Um, because I will do more of this. It just takes more time, because I have to, you know, obviously read the book or reread the book and then take notes on it, organize my thoughts, which I'm happy to do. It's super fun. But I also want to make sure that you're specifically interested in this. So send me an email support at Let me know, send me a DM Veronica E Grant on Instagram. Those are the two best ways to get in touch and say, I love this. Here's here's what I think, or here's what I realized, or here's a book you can also read that I read. And, you know, anything that you want to share would be great. Again, my DMs are Veronica E. Grant, that's Instagram, or you can send me an email support at veronicagrant.com and let me know. I'm also curious to hear what other books you might be interested in. I will tell you that I'm certainly going to have some boundaries and parameters because I really don't want to be just like shitting on people. That's not really the goal. I'm really looking at books that have sold so many copies spent so long on various bestseller lists that they've almost just like entrenched the culture and it becomes part of the lexicon, right? Like, love languages is a really good example. Like, oh, my love languages are, I don't know, my love languages, I don't know, Chocolate or and Netflix or I don't know I'm just making something up but you know what I mean like people don't even really realize like the origination of the love languages or never even read the book but yet they're using it all of the time right and um, I think Men Are From Mars Women of Her Venus is the same way I think the book attached is the same way people are very into attachment styles but a lot of times people actually haven't read the book and so I want to look at some of these books and. Like what does it really say? And does this really make sense? Or is this really helpful? Or in what ways is it helpful? What ways is it not helpful? So I just wanna look at it from that, you know, kind of critical, critiquey kind of perspective. So today I'm gonna start with, like I said, why men love bitches. And we're gonna I'm gonna cover the introduction and the first chapter. And I'm really excited again to hear your feedback. Also, I'm just curious to hear if you have read this book. Was it helpful or was it not helpful? Did you try to implement any of the advice? How did it go? Did it work? Did it not work? Yeah, I, I definitely actually would love to know that as well. Okay, so here's there's a couple things that I just want to say about the book before we even get started. What's really weird is that Sherry Argove is like, we don't know a lot about her. If you go to her Wiki- Wikipedia page, there's like a short little paragraph, her website doesn't really have any information, just links to buy the book, essentially. Uh, when the f- book first came out, I know she did a bunch of interviews on the Today Show, I think she was on The O'Reilly Factor. A lot of those are hard to find because of copyright. And and as far as I know, like she's basically disappeared off the face of the earth. I mean, she hasn't really because she, her book was she followed it up with Why Men Marry Bitches, um, which I guess I can look up, but I haven't. I haven't looked at that book, but if people are interested in that book as well, let me know. So it's kind of weird, right? When you think about it, when you are a New York Times bestseller, you've sold over a million copies. She seems to have come out of nowhere, somehow got a book deal, sold a bazillion books, and then, well, it makes sense that she got the second book deal, and then she just kind of disappeared. Like She doesn't have a business or a practice like revolving, teaching these concepts, you know, a lot of the books, like I know the Love Languages, I'm pretty sure Men Are From Mars, women From Venus, like that created like a whole course and curriculum. And I don't know if it's still in existence, but there was definitely like a whole relationship school built around some of these concepts in the book. And there's just nothing like I don't know what she studied. Did she study psychology? Was she a coach? I mean, it was 2002, 2003. So the life coaching industry was Very, very new. There were definitely coaches then, but definitely not what it is today. So I seriously doubt she was. I mean, did she study like some sort of like spirituality or like spiritual? I mean, I don't know. Like, there's just so I don't know who she is or anything really. Um, A couple of interesting things. So the way she basically wrote this book is, she said among the hundreds of interviews I conducted with men for this book. So she had hundreds of interviews. And then she just basically categorized what they said and turned it into this book, which I find to be interesting. However, the whole concept of the book is just in my mind, completely flawed, because I'm like, who are these men? Are these men I would want to be in relationships with? Are they in happy, healthy relationships? Or are they in relationships, but like they're kind of toxic or just maybe not toxic, but just not like the kind of relationship you might want to be in. Also, people have preferences. So how do you account for that? There's just essentially there's a lot of like women are like this, men are like this in this book. And that already just brings out giant, giant red flags. I've talked a lot about on the show, and I'll just say it here. And I'm probably going to repeat this throughout the episode. But I do believe men and women can behave differently differently. The nature versus nurture thing, I think, is probably still, you know, the jury still has it, like it's still out. However, it is true that the patriarchy has caused people to raise girls in certain ways and boys in certain ways. And then those girls and boys, for the most part, become men and then become women as adults. And yeah, so they are socialized to behave in certain ways. However, it's not absolute. And she uses a lot of language in this book that men are always like this, or men are like this, or it's their nature. She even says language, like really strong language, like it's a fact that men are da 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 And I'm just like, what? Where are you getting this from? Because you've interviewed hundreds of men. And I don't know what hundreds mean. Does that mean you, you interviewed like 200 or like 900? Are hundreds of interviews enough to, you know, make really sweeping conclusions for an entire gender of people, like I I just have a lot of questions. And so the entire premise of the book, I'm very, very, very skeptical. I want to say one other thing about the book. And so on her Wikipedia page, she doesn't have any information about her marital status, relationship status, which, you know, I'm not going to like write off somebody just because of their relationship status if they're giving relationship advice. I actually think people who are doing their work and not coupled can absolutely support people who are looking to be coupled or looking or someone in a relationship. I don't want to like use that as a parameter. The reason why I say it is because one, I think it's just kind of again, weird that there's no information about her relationship status on her Wikipedia or her website or just anything. In the acknowledgement section in her book, she says, you know, she thanks all these people, da da, da 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 And then she says, I want to thank my special guy who is my rock. So she's just a special guy. I don't know if she's married to this person or not. I don't know if they're still together. And then this is the interesting thing. So in parentheses, after she says, I thank my special guy who is my rock, she says, fortunately for me, he doesn't read these kinds of books or take me too seriously. And I think this is really interesting. Interesting. Um, Not that he doesn't read these kinds of books. She's she's saying like, yeah, he's not into self help. Like he's not that kind of guy. He's a guy's guy. I think that's at least that was my read on it. But the last part, or take me too seriously. I was reading a good part of this book actually while I was sitting in the ER. My little baby, almost two year old. It's not really my baby anymore, uh, but always my baby. You know what I mean? Anyways, he f- fell and he had to get stitches on his forehead. And so we were sitting in the ER, and I was going through this book, taking my notes, highlighting, etc. And I was, I had had known about this book for years. And I really just read it, like sat down and like read it word for word. You know, as I was preparing for this episode, I listened to other podcasts, do their own reviews, I'd read reviews on it. So I kind of knew what to expect, although not really. (laughs) Because I was reading it. And I was like, listen to me, listen, listen to this. And I was telling my husband, I was reading some of the stuff to my husband. He was like, this can't be serious. Like this has to be a parody. And I was like, I don't know. I think people really take it seriously. But some of the stuff I was like, is she being serious here? And I do think she has kind of like a cheeky attitude. I mean, she's, she talks about like her little cheekiness or her snarky title, but then it seems like people do take it really. I don't know. So, but then is she telling people in some ways to not take it too seriously? I don't know because I think after you listen to me break down some of this in the book, you might be like, Oh, maybe I shouldn't take this too seriously either. I mean, it's certainly like a fun entertaining read, but it, I feel like it's almost like a sex in the city kind of thing, as opposed to like, okay, let's really look into the, what I need to do in order to be ready for the relationship that I really want. Like, it's not that kind of vibe at all. One thing that is interesting to me though, is she is French born again, don't know where she lives because can't find any information about her. And this book reminded me a lot of like, it's like the relationship version of the book French Women Don't Get Fat. So I don't, I don't, I'm not going to like make a commentary on French culture or anything like that. But it just seemed kind of interesting to me. French Women Don't Get Fat masquerades as a diet book for American women. I'm like, look, French women eat bread and cheese and wine all the time and they're not fat like American women are or or Americans are or whatever. And so it's the premise of the book is live like the French eat like the French and you can still have all this great food and not get fat. Except when you actually read the book. I mean, it's it's a diet of deprivation and like pretty severe deprivation, I would say so it's absolutely a diet book. Um, There's there's no question about it. And this book It's kind of the same way in that she's telling you, like, all these little rules and tricks and things to do. But then she knows that when she says it, and I'll give you some examples in a moment, but when she says it, she knows it sounds kind of like a game, especially a game of, like, manipulation, which is ultimately what the quote-unquote dating game is. So she'll give you some piece of advice, but then she'll say, but it's not a game. I'm like, but really? It's not? <laughs> you're you're kind of saying like, you know, some of the things you're telling me to do kind of sounds like a game. Like I'm trying to, you know, mess with the person so that they want to like me, or at least you think that will get them to like me. She'll even use words like, you know, hold your cards close or, you know, you know, not putting all your cards on the table. Direct references to card games. Now, again, like I know that's just like a figure of speech, like I get it. But it just feels a little weird to me that this whole time she has to constantly defend her advice that it's not games, but also like don't play all your cards. Hold cards close. Don't play cards on the table. And it's just like, I don't know, feels a little gamey to me. Okay. So, and I just want to start with how she starts around the word bitch. I actually don't mind that she uses the word bitch. Um, I Happen to be in the camp of women who like to take that word back, right? So I think that bitch is a word that can be definitely used derogatorily towards women. And it's generally for women who basically have boundaries. (laughs) It's like, what a bitch, you know, because they said no, or, you know, got angry about this or said this or did that or whatever. I, and, and so there is, a, in the feminist movement, there is a movement to take the word back and like, yeah, I'm being a bitch because like I'm standing my own ground. I'm being confident. I'm, I'm being true to myself, saying no or having boundaries or whatever it is. So so she talks about that. And I actually agree. Like I, I, I personally like that. Some women are going to have different opinions about that. And I think that's totally fine. I don't think that's necessarily like a good or a bad thing. It's just that's, she does describe that, and I tend to agree. Okay, so the woman she is describing when she talks about being a bitch, the woman I'm describing is kind yet strong. She has strength that is ever so subtle. She doesn't give up her life, and she won't chase a man. She won't let him think he has a 100% hold on her, and she'll stand up for herself when he steps over the line this is fine. Again, like, okay, like, whatever. The line, she won't let a man think he has a 100% hold on her. I'm like, I don't know, that feels a little bit gamey to me, because that's just not the kind of dynamic I think anyone really wants to have in a, at least a healthy relationship. But I'm like, okay, compared to some of the other things she says later on, nothing too egregious here. But here's where I think it starts to get a little gamey. Uh, She knows what she wants, but won't compromise herself to get it. Okay, fine. But she's feminine, like a steel magnolia, flowery on the outside and steel on the inside. She uses this very femininity to her own advantage. So to me, this just feels like totally gamified. I also have a really... I've talked about this before on the show, but I'll just say it here. I really struggle with the whole idea of being feminine, femininity. Um, You've heard me talk about it before in probably the context of feminine masculine energy. And I'll be totally honest. I personally have started backing off of those terms, feminine and masculine, for this very reason. It gets misinterpreted. I do believe that we're talking about energy. I do believe that there are polarities, okay, 100%. And we can see those polarities, Everywhere, And when we're, when, when we have too much of one polarity, then things do begin to feel a little lopsided, right? Like if you have too much of like the more feminine, then there's just like, there's no boundaries, there's nothing to hold in the space of whatever you're creating. And if there's too masculine, then it's like too robotic, right? Like there's no movement, there's no, you know, flow, emotion, all of the things that make up feminine energy, I don't like to use feminine masculine energy anymore. Now, I do sometimes use the language for simplicity's sake, especially with clients when I can give lots and lots of caveats. But on my more public-facing face platforms, like obviously my podcast, Instagram, all that kind of stuff, email, I tend to avoid it because it requires so many caveats in my mind to use the words feminine masculine. And I'm not even talking about like the like the binary of is because obviously, there's people who don't identify uh, non binary and everything. I'm not even talking about that. And that's a whole other issue. Okay, so I just want to acknowledge it. But I'm not even referring to that. I'm just referring to how the whole feminine energy thing gets misinterpreted as being like feminine as in like girly. And for and I think this feels really isolating uh, for women who just don't really uh, resonate with being more quote unquote, feminine and what we might Consider the more traditional aspects of being a feminine, and so there's just a lot of things going on. Like, again, like if you just read this paragraph in context, it's like, okay, I mean, again, the hundred percent hold thing is kind of an issue. The feminine energy thing, or she's feminine like a steel magnolia, flowery on the outside and steel on the inside, but she uses her femininity to her own advantage. I mean, to me, that feels a little like game speech. Um, dating game speech. And also, it can just get into this idea of like, you have to be feminine. And that may not feel natural. And also, I can't help but think but feel feminine. Okay, to whose gaze, right? So like this whole, and this is like the hypocrisy that I'll probably come back to over and over again, as I'm, you know, reviewing this book. But like, you know, she's talking about like her, the bitch that she describes or that she defines as the bitch, she has the strength, um, she is She is strong. She has, you know, self-confidence and her worthiness and da-da-da-da-da. But then also she talks a lot about behaving and even we'll talk about this a little later, looking in certain ways. And it's like, again, to whose benefits so that who can enjoy it? And this just like is just, ah, uh, it's oozing in hypocrisy. It just friggin' pisses me off. Uh, it doesn't really piss me off. It's just more of like, it It is a little bit, actually, just because I know so many people read this book and take it as, you know, I don't know about gospel, but certainly take it as like, oh, this is how it works. And again, like, this probably works if you're trying to just have more dates and have more sex. But when it comes to being in like a healthy, committed, equitable relationship, ugh, I don't know if this is going to be the route you want to take. Okay, so then she talks a little bit about how she created this book, which again, she talks about interviewing hundreds of men for this book. And I'm just like, again, who are these men? Are they diverse in age, diverse in backgrounds, diverse in race, diverse in ethnicities, diverse in religion? Like, are they in healthy relationships? (laughs) Like, what is, who are these men? Like, I'm just very curious. And uh, yeah, okay, I could go on all all day about that. But I, I won't. I want to take a quick pause here to remind you that if you haven't already, you've got to block out an hour on your calendar and check out my workshop, the five-step strategy to banish anxiety and overwhelm in your love life. So you can attract a fulfilling partnership and live a life of purpose. It's completely free. And in the workshop, I break down exactly why you're in the dating pattern you're in, how to take the confidence you feel in the rest of your life and apply it to your dating life and so much more. If you like my style, philosophy, and how I coach women on the show, this workshop will help you get started in your own deep work. And for those of you who want to understand the why behind what I do on the show, I even dig a bit into the science of love so you can start to see real change in your own love life. It's really all my best work in one place and you can access it right now. I strongly believe you don't have to spend years in therapy or read every dating self help book to dramatically transform your love life. Grab your seat over at veronicagrant.com forward slash workshop. And now back to the show. Okay. So here's the next part. See, this is why I can't do the whole book because there's so many things. Oh my gosh. Okay. So she interviewed all these men and this is what the main message was. Men like it when a woman has a bit of an edge to her. They said two things became clear across the board. First, they would regularly use the phrase mental challenge to describe a woman who didn't appear needy. And second, the word bitch was synonymous with their concept of mental challenge. And this characteristic, above all, they found attractive. When I used the phrase mental challenge with men, it was immediately clear to them what I meant. On the other hand, when I interviewed hundreds of women, rarely did they understand the same phrase. Again, who are these women? Are they in relationships? Are they single? Did she only like interview single women, but then coupled men. Like, I mean, I just, God, it just drives me crazy. What is going on here? So I just want to talk about mental challenge for a second, because she comes back to this over and over and over again. And ultimately what she's saying is that if you make it too easy for a man, they'll get bored and move on to somebody else. But if you quote unquote, like, well, actually, she didn't quote this. If you keep them on their toes, then there's like this challenge of like, ooh, who is she? Or does she like me? Or what's going on here? I have to find out. Then he'll stay. And I mean, look, this situation, you can probably relate to this, right? Like, you've probably have been in a situation where as soon as you say you like them back, then they're like, oh, I'm done now, right? Like, this is probably a very relatable experience. So I'm not saying that she's wrong and that like, this isn't relatable or something that a lot of people don't deal with in relationships and dating. I think it's actually quite common. But I think she got the reasons all wrong, right? Because like, again, if you've been listening to my show for a while, you've heard me talk probably a lot about this, actually. And we'll try to find some episodes around inner child work, where this comes up a lot, where you are attracted to the emotionally unavailable or the flighty person or whatever for, you know, there can be many, many um, underlying emotional reasons. But it's not because you're not giving a mental challenge to them, right? Because like for someone who is trying to play that game, probably unconsciously, maybe consciously, probably unconsciously, they're not the same people who are going to behave. If you, you know, do this advice that she's telling you to do. Do you know what I mean? Like, playing these games probably works for people And does keep them on their toes for people who are kind of emotionally stunted or can't deal with their own emotions or have their own inner child stuff they're not dealing with. But for men who are just people who you're trying to date, who are in a better, more emotionally healthy, stable, all that kind of stuff, um, all that kind of stuff place, like, like, this is just like a non-issue. Do you want to, do you know what I mean? Okay, so... I just want to finish up the introduction so that we can get to the first chapter, not have this episode be 10 million hours long. Um, But here she says this, a teenage girl picks up a magazine and reads, get that boy's attention with an item of clothing or a certain look. This nail color, a lipstick will wow him. The magazine assures her. And what does the girl learn? How to obsess over someone else's approval. True. Okay. I mostly agree with that. And then she goes on, this teenage woman becomes an adult. And then what happens? The messaging here is two wrinkles and a stretch mark and she's quote unquote marked down like last season's merchandise that sold at half price. And what does she learn? How to obsess over someone else's disapproval. So she's giving these as examples, which again, like I think is true. However, I think her book is playing into the exact same um, kind of framework because she's saying, but act like this so that they actually will keep liking you. (laughs) Like she keeps saying like the right thing, like, yeah, be confident and be, you know, have h- high self esteem and live your life and do your thing and have and all this stuff like this is all good. But then like she says it so that, you know, he won't run away or so that he'll like you or so that he'll want more or so that he'll take you to dinner or whatever. So it's just like she takes it too far. And I'm like, oh, this is so you're playing to that same thing the magazines are doing. So her message of the book and her words is that a bit of irreverence is necessary to have any self esteem at all. Not irreverence for people, but rather for what other people think. Sure, I think that is fair, right? Like we can't live our life, especially dating, being obsessed with a, with what other people think. Like that would just drive anyone crazy. You don't need me to tell you that because you've probably felt like that um, in many times of life, including dating. Um, but then she says, the bitch is an empowered person who derives tremendous strength from the ability to be independent thinker, particularly in a world that still teaches women how to be self Abnegating. This woman doesn't live by someone else's standards, only her own. This is the woman who plays by her own rules, who has a feeling of confidence, freedom, and empowerment. And it is a feeling that I hope will women glean from reading this book. So this, I think, again, like it's fine, like taking out of context, like there's nothing anything wrong with this. However, based on some of the rules that she gives later, when she does talk about irreverence, not for people, but for what other people think. I think that some of the tactics that she gives are a little manipulating. They're not really conducive to building a healthy relationship. Like we teach other people. I talk about this a lot. We teach other people how to treat us. And so if you're being a little withholding or, you know, in quote unquote, trying to keep your cards close or so that they'll do this or so they'll do that, then That's just not really being honest and upfront about what you feel or what you need or what you think. And so then that gives the other person the permission to ultimately do the same thing. And so so I think that whole concept contradicts everything that she's saying here. It's like, you know, be an empowered person. Yeah, but oh God, okay, I could go on, which I will, but not on this one particular point. Okay, so the first chapter is from doormat to dream girl. Act like a prize and you'll turn him into a believer. Okay, so I just want to say one quick thing about this. This is very trophy wife-esque, right? It's very objectification. It's like, okay, it's like, let me teach you how to objectify yourself so that men can have an easier time objectifying you. Like, it's just act like a prize. I just like, I mean, look, like, sure. Is everyone like a, a divine gift and everyone that is here on planet earth, a miracle and a creation of some sort of divine God spirit. I mean, I personally think so. You may not think so. And that's totally fine, but like acting like a prize and you'll turn him into a believer. I'm just like, what are you talking about? Why do I need to objectify myself more? Also, this just sounds exhausting. Can I just like, I don't know, be myself? (laughs) I mean, Jesus, this this just feels so tiring. Okay, so this first chapter was just, um, this is one of the points in the chapter where I was like, reading this out loud to Stevie as we're sitting in the ER, waiting for Marshall to get his stitches. And he was like, is this serious? This has to be a parody. And I was like, Honestly, I couldn't tell you (laughs) because it sounded like a parody. Okay, so she's first setting up the chapter with Meet the Nice Girl, right? So, this is a situation a lot of you all could probably relate to. She overcompensates, gives everything to a man she barely knows without having him to invest much in the relationship. She's the woman who gives blindly because she wants so much for her attention to be reciprocated. She's the woman who goes along with what she thinks her man will take, will like, or want because she wants to keep the relationship at all costs. Then she says every woman at some point has been there. I mean, do about every woman. I really, like I say a lot of times, I really like to speak in absolutes, but I'm going to assume a lot of women probably have experienced something like this and probably a lot of women listening to this episode. Okay, so fine. So she's setting you up. And then her attraction principle number one is anything a person chases in life runs away, especially when it comes to dealing with a man with one caveat. If you chase him in a black night tie, I guess she means like nightgown first, he'll have sex with you and then he'll run. Why does a man run from a situation like this one? He runs because the woman's behavior doesn't suggest that she's a places a high value on herself. The relationship is new and the bond between them is relatively shallow yet. She already dealt him her best card. So this is just a, this is just saying like objectifying, like you're nothing more than just like sex to him. And then as soon as he has sex, he's going to run and you have to quote unquote, make him earn it. Now I, again, like there's, this is why these books, and this kind of advice is so infuriating, because like, there's nuggets of truth, right? Like, and I don't know if everyone listening to this experiences, but a lot of times women can relate to having sex with someone or doing any other kind of physical intimate act with somebody. Um, so that, you know, hoping that, oh, that gets them to say or that gets them to like you or to to love you. And generally speaking, like, that's not really going to be a great situation for you, probably not going to work. There's no emotional investment. And there's a really good chance that, yeah, sure, that that person will probably leave. But then like the last line, she's already dealt him her best card. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. And totally going back into the game talk, oh, but don't worry, this is not a game. You know, just live by your own rules, but don't do this and don't deal your best card. It's just, it's very confusing advice to me. And actually, I will say that as I was reading this, it's a pretty easy, fun read. But at the same time, sometimes things I'm like, what is she talking about? Like, it was really confusing. I had to read it a few times to like really make sure I understood what she was trying to say. And I think that's honestly because a lot of this advice just keeps going back and forth on itself. And it's kind of hypocritical. Like, again, she's saying it's 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 not a game and be confident and also like play by your own rules, but then also play by these rules, too. So it's just it's very confusing. And so this is just like putting like the it's even though this is not necessarily like talking about like Christian virginity, it is kind of playing that into that kind of trope of like this is like the most, you know, valuable thing about you and you should withhold it and wait until the right person and da, 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 da. And I mean, at least in my opinion, when it comes to sex, like you have sex when you want to have sex. If you want to have sex the first night, then I think that's great. If you want to have sex, after marriage, I think that's great. If you want to have sex somewhere in between, I think that's great too. Whatever you do has to feel right for you. And just know that there are, I don't want to say pros and cons, but there are risks no matter what you do, right? If you have sex the first night, there's a risk, right? Because like you might get emotionally invested and the other person might not, right? And so then there's a risk there. Wanting to wait until marriage might be a risk. One, the sex might be really bad after you get married. I guess that's the more obvious risk. Um, But also like, I do think that a physical relationship really does help enhance the emotional. And so that can be, you know, lacking there. And so sometimes I know in those kinds of relationships, you rush to get to the marriage part, which again, I understand. Um, but again, I think there's a risk in that. So I don't think there's one way is better. It's just whatever feels best for you. And the way that she's talking about this, again, is just it's just putting that like whole virginity card. And, I get, and this is not necessarily written for virgins or anything like, or, you know, people, practicing absence by any stretch, but it's still playing into that same kind of trope of like, that is the highest prize. It is it is the most valuable thing you have to offer a man. If you've given that to a man, then you're screwed. You have nothing else. You have no other cards to play and he's just going to leave. And um, I just think that really sucks. I just think that really sucks. And so she talks here a lot about cooking and I'm not going to read you this whole chapter, but I'm also just like, what the fuck is she talking about? She says, a dream girl, on the other hand. So she's talking about Dormat and the dream girl, remember? So she says, a dream girl, on the other hand, won't kill herself to impress anyone. This is why the woman he really falls in love with doesn't serve a four-course meal. And you won't see her breaking out the fancy china either. Who has china anymore? But whatever. She'll start out cooking him a one-course meal. In parentheses, popcorn. (laughs) And then a a, a Tupperware bowl does the trick. She simply asks her guests, hey, do you want the bag or the bowl? Six months later, the same woman throws a meal, throws together a meal and puts down a hot plate in front of him. And what does he have to say to himself? Man, I'm special. And so she's talking a little bit about now making him pasta once you're six months in, but only one course, nothing too special. But because you've only treated him like shit and only made him popcorn before, he's going to feel like a king. And, you know, this is what the dream girl is. Okay, she talks, she gives you more about how to make popcorn later on. I'm not, I can't make this up. Like this is, I'm serious here. Okay, but she gets into attraction principle number two, which is the women who have the men climbing the walls for them aren't always exceptional. Often they are the ones who don't appear to care that much. Okay, so she starts off this, this section of the chapter saying this isn't about how to play a game. Of course, she has to give that caveat or how to manipulate someone, although it sounds sounds like that, but whatever. This is about whether you are genuinely needy or whether you can genuinely show him that you'll be an equal partner in the relationship. It's about whether you're capable of holding your own in a relationship. Now, here's the thing. She's talking about how you can show him that you'll be an equal partner. However, she's talking so much about what you have to do or what you shouldn't do or, you know, how to do something. But there's no sense in like, you know and, th- and then she even uses the word equal partner and equal partnership and this is a phrase i hear a lot among clients you know when i'm when i'm doing potential client consults i'll i'll often ask them what what kind of relationship do you want what do you want to feel like what does it look like and probably equal partnership is the most common thing that i hear so she's definitely speaking to that desire that i i do know that many women want But she's giving you no indication as to like, well, how do you know if it's the equal partner on their end? Like, what are their obligations? So far, like, all it seems to be is the only thing they have to do is like, and we're talking about the men here is all they have to do is stay and like show up. (laughs) Um, And so this just again, this just feels this is where it starts to feel a little bit misogynistic, because it's just like, you know, don't be too much. And don't feel like don't act like you care that much. Basically, just act like this I don't know, this emotionless robot and then the man will like you because that way he doesn't have to like tend to your emotions. And to me, this just feels like into those misogynistic tropes that women are too much, too emotional, too needy. And I'm just like, why are we, why was it seen as good advice? I, I, I truly, I truly don't know. And then she asks in the next section, what would happen if you let him know from day one that you were willing to bend over backward? he'd think you're desperate and he'd want to see just how far you'd be willing to bend. It is human nature. Okay. this The reason why I highlighted this section is because this is when she starts using words like it's human nature or it's fact. And I'm just like, really? I mean, if we're really looking at the scientific process, I've talked about this before when I talked about the law of attraction, so I won't go too much into it now, but like establishing something as fact, um, when we're if we're using scientific process is actually very, very hard to do. I know there's a bunch of rules and Steps, I'm not an expert in that, so I'm not going to pretend like I know, but I know that things start like as a theory, then it goes into like a law or something, and then for it to become fact like it again, I don't remember the exact parameters, but it's not just like it's just human nature, it's just facts, like okay, fine, and again, like I think the people throw these phrases and 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 words around all the time, it's fine. However, when you're writing a self-help book where people are presumably going to be reading this book and trying to apply some of the things that you say it, I do think language matters. I do think words matter. And especially if you are presenting the book as like I've interviewed all of these men and this is just what's going so it just I don't know. I think I've made my point here, but Yeah, we're going to move on. It's just very upsetting. I think it's upsetting also because again, like these books that I want to look at in this series, this is not like five people reading these books. These are millions of people reading these books. And so it's just really upsetting that this stuff is just so still heavily entrenched in our culture. And it really harms the, this harms the woman a lot more than it harms the man. Okay. Um, she talks a little bit more about the mental challenge. I've already talked about that in the introduction when she talked about how that was like the main thing that she found in her interview. So I'm not going to go too much into that because I do need to get through the first chapter, um, in a reasonable time, you know, but she just talks about how that's like the number one thing that a man needs. And I do think there has to be not like, I don't think challenge is the right word, but I do think there has to be like polarity. I do think there has to be some sort of I mean, maybe challenge is the right word, but not in the way that she's talking about it, right? Like, I do think that it is better. I'm going to say better, and that's a judgment, but I do kind of think it is better to be in a relationship with someone who doesn't necessarily agree with everything you think 100% of the time, or doesn't necessarily have all your own interests. They have their own stuff, because that makes the relationship interesting, because then you can really challenge each other. Like, my husband is an engineer, and so he just sees the world through a totally different perspective than I do as someone who study sociology and um, like through a sociological political perspective. Like that's, that was more my background in in college. And so I thought I just wanted to marry someone like that so we could like look through the same lens. Um, turns out that's not how things unfolded in my life. And I'm actually so grateful because I've learned so much. He's challenged my viewpoints. I've challenged his viewpoints and it makes things interesting. It makes things um, just, yeah, not feel as as boring. Like My husband and I are on the same page for a lot of stuff when it comes to like Trump and the pandemic and just some of the other more polarizing things going on over the last several years. And honestly, those conversations are so boring because like, we're kind of like, yeah, I know. I agree. Yeah. Okay. Move on. (laughs) Talk about something else because we agree and it's not as interesting conversation or I'm not like, I don't think we're learning as much from each other when we talk about those kind of topics because we're more or less on the same page about that. Um, Okay. In this last part of the section, she says a bitch is more selective about her availability. She's available sometimes, other times she's not, but she's nice, nice enough. That is to consider his preference preferences for when he'd like to see her so that she can make some times to accommodate him. Translation, no 100% hold. Again, like there's a little bit of nugget of truth, right? Like don't rearrange your life for him or for anyone that you're dating. Sure. Like if you have other things on your calendar, whether obviously it's work or children or friends or just other commitments. Yeah, of course, like don't move things around for him. However, when you're in a relationship, or when you're dating someone, there is a little bit of like, okay, what what would work for you? What would work for me? Let's try to there's, I want to say compromise. I have a lot of opinions about that. I'm sure we'll talk about it later on in this book. So I'm not going to get into it right now. But there has to be some flexibility without totally giving up everything, you know, your control over time or your life or your feelings. You know what I mean? Like this just isn't how you start a relationship because it's not really how relationships work. If you're talking about a long-term relationship, and especially if you're talking about a relationship that you want to eventually have a family with, I mean, my goodness, it's just not how it works. Like I, that's all I can tell you. Okay. So attraction principle number three, she's all over the place here. And this is where she starts giving like a recipe for popcorn. Like I'm, I'm not even kidding. Like you might think that I'm just like, talking random shit. And I'm just like, this is what this in the book, I'm just reporting as I see it. (laughs) It's So crazy. Okay, so attraction principle three is a woman is perceived as offering a mental challenge to the degree that a man doesn't feel he has a 100% hold on her. So basically what she's saying, I'm going to quickly summarize this part of the chapter, she's basically saying that um, I'll just summarize here she says the bitch on the other hand makes plenty of peeps in fact she is bitching the whole way through basically like she's not going to just you know you shouldn't just do what he wants to do when he wants to do it you know you might try to play the nice girl so that you know you don't upset him but basically he's going to know that he has a hundred percent hold on you there's going to be no mental challenge and then he's just going to leave right and so That's kind of the premise that she's giving, which I'm like, okay, fine. Yeah, like, if you don't like to do something with someone that you're dating, then either like, speak up or just have him do the thing he likes to do. And you go do your own thing. Like, of course, like, okay, sure, that's, I guess, fine advice. But then she starts talking about how this relates to like, cooking. And she even says, like, I raise the issue of cooking, because it's one of the many ways that women overcompensate. Okay, so she's using cooking now as an example, and she's like, sure, maybe if you've been together for a year and you're celebrating that or for his birthday, you want to cook something special for him, maybe he's earned it so you can cook him a nice meal as a quote unquote treat, but it isn't a treat if you give it to him right off the bat. And so she's saying early on in a relationship, here's what you need to make him. Um, appetizer is popcorn a la carte. And she literally tells you how to make a popcorn. It's very cheeky. It's kind of funny. But also I'm like, this is the part where I was like, is this serious? Like this, this has to be a joke. Like, does she write this as like a parody and people are taking it as like actual like gospel or self help? Like, this is the part where I was like, this, this can't be serious. (laughs) then The main course gourmet delicate dippings. Okay, she says this. Bring a pot of water to a boil and plop in two wieners. Cook them for five minutes so the wieners are tough or slightly al dente. Pour your guest a refreshing beverage, Kool-Aid, then send him onto your balcony so he can enjoy the lovely view as ambiance is everything. When he isn't looking, slice and dice the little wieners and stick a toothpick into each piece. Like Martha, you can truly express your creativity with a wide assortment of different color toothpicks. Okay, so she goes on again, like this is funny, but I'm like, obviously, she's joking here. I have to assume she's joking here, which makes me think like is this whole book a joke, because really, like, it's just, it's just so crazy. Because then she goes into like, so to tie this back to the beginning of this um, part of the chapter, where she's saying, you know, just don't go along with whatever he wants to do, is because... You're never going to hear again, hey, what's for dinner after you make him this popcorn and wiener dish because obviously the food is gross. And so if after some time he ever slips and asks you to cook, simply, simply offer to make your specialty popcorn, wieners, and a jelly roll. I, I missed the dessert part. I, I left out the dessert part. She's She includes a jelly roll. And she's like, for long, you'll be at your dinner because he's going to make be making reservations, so you should probably go get ready. So this is her whole thing on like, how – you can get out of doing things that he wants to do and basically have your time spent together on your terms. And this just like makes no sense to me. It's like, funny, but also like, <laughs> what is going on here? Like, I don't even know what to think, to be honest. Um, Okay, and then basically, this gets to what she says is um, the difference between a bitch who believes I am enough, take it or leave it, and then I am a doormat, and then, you know, not I am not enough. And so she has this little chart. Um and there's there's two columns in the chart, I am not enough versus I am enough, take it or leave it. Now here's the thing. I actually do like this idea of like take it or leave it. Right. Like and and not to like shut yourself down emotionally because I think this is kind of where she goes in the book. So I disagree with that part. But obviously like I want you to believe and feel that you are enough. And I also believe that you have to have boundaries and ultimately have lines in the sand, like this is what I need, or this is what I want, or this is okay, this is not okay with me. And if it's not going to be okay with the other person, then that relationship just isn't the right thing. So you got to take it or leave it, right? So it feels harsh, especially if you've had some enmeshment or people pleaser tendencies. But I do ultimately agree with that statement And then she gives you some different thoughts that might be common among the I'm not enough category. And then she gives you some different beliefs that you might have if you're more in the I'm enough, take it or leave it camp. And there's a couple that I wanted to highlight. So if you're in the I am not enough camp under that column, here's what she says. This person makes it obvious a relationship is her goal before she knows much about him. And then the I'm enough, take it or leave it camp, this is what sh- who she is. She goes out to have fun and doesn't make promises to virtual strangers. I think she's totally off base here. I actually do think that you want to have really strong intentions just within yourself around what you want. If you want to just have fun and like go hook up and just casually date people, I think that's great. I'm not making any judgment or that's wrong or bad. Like If that's what you want and that's what feels good to you, then I think that's what you should do. And if you are looking for a relationship, I think you should be clear about that. But that doesn't mean you want a relationship with that person. You're just being clear so that you know that your values are aligned and that you're ultimately wanting at least to go down the same or similar paths. I think a lot of times women actually do try to like, oh, I'm just seeing what's happening, or let's just see how it goes. And they kind of play along with that. But then they end up getting hurt, because they, that's not really what feels true, or what is true. What they really want is a relationship, but she's making that seem like it's it's wrong, or bad, or makes you desperate or needy. And I just think that's, I think that's total, total bullshit. She has a couple others of these, I'm not going to go through it. Um But I, I will just actually highlight one others But I need I do need to move through this chapter. Otherwise, I'm gonna run out of time. She says, um, for the, uh, I am not enough category, this person will ask, where's our relationship going? And then the, I am enough, take it or leave it category is saying he has no clue where the relationship is going. And she leaves it like that. I am so against this actually, because if you do want a relationship and you have been dating someone for a while That relationship does need masculine energy. Does need those boundaries, right? That's what if we're talking about masculine energy. That's ultimately what it is. You need some sort of bounds to hold it within to keep that hold that space of this is, this is ours. This is what we are creating together. And so, if you ask where a relationship's going, or you know any kind of DTR kind of conversation, DTR by the way is to find the relationship and then you're not on the same page, then you can make the self honoring choice of leaving rather than like staying and like pretending to be okay with that. Because honestly, I think a lot of us have probably been in that situation. And that is anxiety inducing. i talked about that in my book. Um, I talked about one of my relationships where I really played that card hard. <laughs> and it, it didn't work. It just didn't work. And also, if you're dating someone who doesn't want a relationship, or kind of once that no strings attached, that's a very painful place to be in. Because basically, you're saying, yeah, it's totally fine that you can hang out with me when you want to, or have sex with me when you want to. Um, Because it's just she's basically saying, like, put all of your needs, all your emotions on the back burner so that you don't scare this person off or become too needy or, you know, not get rid of that quote, unquote, edge or mental challenge she's always talking about. And this is just not this is not it. That's all I can say. This is just not it. Okay, attraction principle number four says sometimes a man deliberately won't call just to see how you'll respond. I'm not gonna talk too much about this. Other than just let's just give it this a moment of silence for just to acknowledge the um, absurdity of this statement. And then she follows it up with this sentence. It is human nature for a man to test the waters to see how much he can get away with. This is what? (laughs) It's human nature? According to Who? How do you know that? Where do you have a source? Like she's not citing anything. If she's talking about her own experience or someone's experience, then fine, whatever. But she's just saying this as as fact or fact that she's derived from her interviewing hundreds of men, and all of a sudden that allows her to say these kind of big sweeping statements. There's a lot of things I could say about this, but I'm not gonna get into it. It's just it's just bonkers. Okay, I am going to wrap this episode up with a story that she talks about. So in this story, she talks about a friend of hers named Samantha, all the names in the book were changed, by the way. And she went on a first date with a man who took her to a local boxing match. In between the rounds, there was this like sexy, barely dressed stripper who came out holding the round number. And her date looked at the woman and then in an effort to be a quote unquote gentleman turned to look at Samantha. And so what she did, Samantha followed, you know, Sherry Argove's advice, which is act as though she's not in competition, that she's not worried about this hot, naked stripper, whatever up on the stage. That person is just, you know, (laughs) absolutely meaningless to her, oblivious to her. And so the woman keeps coming out. To give the round number, and every time Samantha just acts like no big deal, like oh, do you have some water, or just ask like a random question. Like this woman isn't even out on the stage when the when she comes out. Um, and 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 basically the whole premise of this is if you act really jealous and show the person that he, you're jealous of this person, you just up the ante of this other person and give her more hotness or more sexiness, or whatever, and then that downgrades you. And so then that that man is not going to be attracted to you, but will then in fact be attracted to the person you've just given so much power to. So okay, like the whole premise of this is just like so fucked up. I don't even have to get into that because you listen to this podcast, you know. However, because Samantha was acting oblivious to this, you know, sexy stripper or whatever on the stage, that upped her ante. And so this guy kept really liking her and was like showing her all this affection. And then the end result was that he was just completely enamored. And she said that while driving home, he kept saying how incredibly beautiful he thought she was. The proof was in the pudding. He continued to pursue her, not the stripper who overcompensated to get the kind of attention that is very often short lived. Okay, so here's the thing, like, she's giving this example of this story of how this woman dealt with like this really hot naked stripper and how she didn't get jealous. And that still, and that kept the man's attention on her. Right. And then she said that this guy just kept saying how beautiful and like sexy and all of these things that she was on the drive home as if this were a good thing. But I'm like, well, I don't know if I was on a first date with anybody, no matter the situation, that's all they were saying to me. I'd be totally weirded out. Cause I'm like, It's just totally objectification, and that's not the foundation for any kind of healthy relationship. And then this is the part that really just blew my mind. In the next paragraph, she talks about how her friend's behavior was, you know, this was perfect. This was textbook. She did exactly what she was supposed to do, except that this man's behavior wasn't all that romantic, It should not go unnoticed, she says, that a man is willing to take you somewhere unromantic on the first date. If a man takes you to a boxing match, a strip joint, or a place he might typically hang out with a bunch of guys, he's telling you by the choices he is making that he doesn't have a plan to keep you around that long. If this is where he takes you on a first date, don't go out with him a second time. And so this is like, yeah, this, this little trick or this little game, this little manipulation tactic worked, except this is kind of a douchebag. So don't go with them anyways. And it's like, well, why are we even like wasting our time trying to make this person like you because this is not the kind of relationship that you'd want to have or the kind of person that you would want to be in a relationship with. And this is just what goes on and on and on with all of her attraction principles in this book. So okay, I'm going to wrap this up here. Because as you can tell, I could keep talking about this a lot. I am near the end of the first chapter, but I think honestly, the rest of this chapter, at least is pretty repetitive. So I think I've made my point. So please let me know, do you want me to keep doing teardowns like this? Send me an email support at veronicagrant.com or send me a DM on Instagram. I'm Veronica E. Grant. Don't forget that E. And let me know, let me know if you like this, if this was interesting, if this was helpful to you. I mean, really, I can't make up some of the stuff that was in this book. It was just really mind blowing. And like, again, like, it's easy to be like, Oh, Veronica, that that book is ridiculous. No one takes this advice seriously. But if you read the reviews, that's just not true. It's just not true. If you read the reviews on Amazon or Google, plus, like, literally over a million copies have been sold. I don't know exactly how many weeks this book was on the New York Times bestseller list. But I think it was like, over a year, if not more. And the book has recently made a resurgence. And I believe in late 2021, it made another appearance in the New York Times bestseller because a bunch of TikTok influencers who are Gen Z were getting really into it. And I think part of the if I had to like, armchair it for a second, I think probably the reason is because like, this book kind of does have this attitude of like zero fucks given. And I do think that's kind of where Gen Z is right now. Because like, So many of like the systems, especially the just haven't worked and haven't and aren't working. And the pandemic has exposed a lot of that stuff. And I think Gen Z is really going to be the pandemic generation. And and so I think they're kind of like the burn it all down kind of folks. And so in some ways, this book does kind of fit into that because it's like, fuck all this shit. However, if you really read the book, I think that it's actually fairly misogynistic and it's very... Um, first of all, it's heteronormative for sure, but like it's very misogynistic. It's very patriarchal. It's very into like men are like this, women are like this, do this, do this, do this, don't do that, don't do that. And then, you know, you'll love them, for- he'll love you forever. And it's like, yeah, again, that probably works for dating and relation or dating and sex, but for relationships, especially the kind of relationships that I think most of the listeners here want, this is. These kind of rules will work with people that I don't think you're probably interested in dating or will be interested in having the kind of relationship that you ultimately want. So this whole thing just feels like a moot point. Okay. All right. So I think that's why that book is getting a little bit of a bump right now. I hope you enjoyed this. I'm not recommending necessarily to go out and read this along with what I'm sharing. My my goal is that I give you so much detail that you feel like you don't need to, that I'm telling you everything you need to know. I can't wait to hear from you and how this episode was, how it landed. Was it interesting? Maybe a little funny? I don't know. Because again, that popcorn thing and the wiener thing just, (laughs) I don't know what to make of it, to be honest. I don't know what to make of it. As always, please leave a rating or review if you haven't already. It helps me to organically grow the show. And I just really, really appreciate that. I can't wait to hear your thoughts. If you have other books you want me to tear down, let me know. I already have some in mind. But again, like they really need to be pretty pretty substantial books, like books that have have had a cultural influence, you know, not looking for other people who, you know, like me who've written books, I'm not trying to like, you know, ruin anyone's business. I'm really trying to just look at books that are just, again, I think larger than the author, they've just taken on this cultural phenomenon. Okay. All right, my dear, I will see you next week with a brand new coaching episode. Until then. One more thing. You may be wondering, but Veronica, how do I start doing the deep work? I'm ready to make a shift. If that's you, I recommend you start with my totally free workshop, Five Steps to Ending Overwhelm and Anxiety in Dating. The good news is that you don't have to do all the things to find love. This workshop will walk you through the five big shifts that'll give you the biggest bang for your buck. You'll learn a step by step game plan to finally get unstuck and unblocked in love and end the cycle of dead end relationships you'll learn the number one reason most highly successful, motivated and ambitious women struggle in love and what you can do to make sure it doesn't happen to you. You'll learn how to figure out the real reason you're attracting partners who aren't emotionally available or toxic or just simply not on your intellectual or emotional level. And you'll also learn the single most effective way to tap into the inner confidence you feel in your career and elsewhere in your life so that it'll carry over into your love life and of course, a lot more. If you're ready to shift things in your life, I seriously can't wait for you to get your hands on this. Head over to veronicagrant.com forward slash workshop to sign up. Thank you so much for listening to the Love Life Connection podcast. If you're looking for links or resources mentioned in the show, you can find the show notes to this episode and all previous episodes at veronicagrant.com forward slash podcast. And if you love this episode, please subscribe and take a moment to rate and review the show. It really helps. I'll see you next week for a brand new episode of the Love Life Connection podcast. And until then, sending you lots of love. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time.